This program is sponsored by Dave Stahl. And now it's time to join your hosts, Toxiana Whitlock and Judy Wells, as they talk with experts and peers from around the country on the topic of being responsibly armed. This six-part series will elevate your safety-first mindset and your view on being responsibly armed. It may or may not include a firearm, but it definitely should include a plan. Visit ResponsiblyArmedRadio.com with your questions, comments, or to learn how to become a sponsor or guest of Responsibly Armed Radio. Now, here are your hosts, Tatiana and Judy, coming to you live, coast-to-coast, from Maine to California, on The Answer San Diego. All right, folks. Hey, welcome to Responsibly Armed Radio. And this show is brought to you today by the AC Foundation. We want to thank them for their sponsorship of episode three, wouldn't it be? Yeah. Of Responsibly Armed Radio and for providing educational and life opportunities for our nation's youth. Here are your hosts, Tatiana Whitlock and Judy Wells, live on The Answer San Diego. Hi, guys. How you doing? Hi, Dave. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Judy Wells, and welcome to Episode 3 of Responsibly Armed Radio. Today, we want you to ask yourself, what are the most responsible self-defense tools for me? And I'm Tatiana Whitlock, and joining us today is legendary lawman Chuck Haggard. Chuck has been active in private defense training throughout his 28-year career in urban law enforcement, He's the founder and lead instructor of Agile Training and Consulting, where he devotes his time to training other police officers, military personnel, security forces, and private citizens on the art and science of personal self-defense. Chuck is a national trainer with the National Law Enforcement Training Center, maintaining his post certifications and stays active in law enforcement with two different departments in his area. Welcome to the show, Chuck. We're honored to have you with us today. Hello, Tatiana. I'm very, very happy to be here. Also joining us today is Michael Treat, the owner and instructor at Condition Orange Preparedness. Michael Treat is the owner and chief trainer at Condition Orange Preparedness. He has over 25 years' experience in corrections, law enforcement, and private security, and began his teaching and coaching career in 1998 while working as a St. Paul Police Park Ranger and field training officer, and again in 2001 as a Minnesota State Corrections Officer, basic life-saving skills, CPR, AED, control tactics, and self-defense instructor. Mike has certifications from Range Master, Advanced Instructor and Defensive Shotgun, NRA, Valor Ridge, QSI Training, Minnesota Cali Group Professional Development Department, Minnesota Post, and Minnesota Department of Corrections, just to name a few. Hi, Mike. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for having me on. Welcome. So, Tatiana? So, in Episode 1 of Responsibly Armed Radio, we touched on the topic of use of force continuum and how it relates to ordinary people. We talked with Luann Hamblin and Claude Werner at length about understanding escalation of force and what that can mean legally and personally. We'd like to pick your brain about what tools and specific strategies make sense for each of the four stages of escalating violence. So, Chuck, quick question for you. Let's just say that we are we're going through this progression using this model of as things escalate from no injury to threat of injury to minor injury to serious injury 
and finally to death. If we use this model to dive into the first step, which is threat assessment, can you discuss what we need to look for before we get into an engagement with somebody? What are those bells and whistles we should be paying attention to? So uh, I find it hard to uh, talk about this subject without referring to my uh, friend Craig Douglas's famous managing unknown context paradigm. Uh, and he has a list of pre-assault indicators. But when I'm talking to people about avoiding criminal victimization, uh, one of the things I like to talk about is before it gets to that point, before it's an actual contact. So uh, kind of uh, instead of just muck, pre-muck, uh, so before you get into actually managing the unknown contact, spotting uh, somebody who may be sizing you up for criminal victimization. One of the things that I tell people to do is pay more attention to their intuition, to their sixth sense, their spidey sense, the hair in the back of their neck. Uh, that's a real thing. Uh, in my classes, I tell people that uh, one of the <laughs> indicators that people will rationalize and ignore is uh, what I call that just don't look right. And the uh, number one cause of things not looking right is they're not actually right. Uh, <clears throat> I refer often to a case that was talked about in the book uh, Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker. A uh, lady was waiting for an elevator. Elevator door opens. Creepy guy's on the elevator. And she has an initial reaction of, I really don't want to get on the elevator. This guy's creeping me out. But then she starts rationalizing because she doesn't want to be seen as not being nice. I don't want to think the guy thinks that I don't think he's nice or maybe it's, you know, cross-racial thing or something like that. She gets on the elevator. That turns into a violent physical assault, which turns into a violent sexual assault later, kidnapping situation. So what I find is nice people will often nice themselves into being crime victims by ignoring these indicators. Uh, also, uh, sacrificing their situational awareness to things like their cell phone. People are glued to their cell phone nowadays. Uh, walking across parking lots, things like that. Uh, ignoring where these sorts of things, these criminal victimizations happen uh, like uh, parking lots of Walmarts, grocery stores, uh, convenience stores, things like that. They, uh, that are these transitional spaces where a lot of criminal victimizations happen. So realizing, hey, I'm moving from this point to that point, uh, and these sorts of crimes happen in this area or during this, uh, this phase of travel in my life that I'm going through uh, is where you need to like turn your radar on uh, that sort of thing, and they uh, um, people people kind of ignore that. Uh, so this subliminal thing, the intuition, thin slicing—it's not magic. It's very real. It's a subconscious analysis of situations you find yourself in. So, you were talking about having a gut instinct and paying attention to that, and. Maybe your head is screaming in this that the situation isn't right or something's weird or something's wrong. Can you give us mm -hmm. some visual indicators, some red flags, maybe some physical tells that we can look for if we're in a strange situation or even just every day at the grocery store? What are some things we can look for? Uh, need to look around you. You know, Emma, if somebody is literally following you, 
that would be definitely a, a dangerous thing. If you're walking down the street, particularly uh, when maybe traffic or you're walking across a parking lot and foot traffic is low because it's late at night or something like that, if you see somebody on an interception course for you, you know, there's a reason for that. Uh, if you have somebody approaching you to ask for money, uh, you have to look at their body language. Uh, are they uh, asking you for money and then they're looking around behind them? That will be what we call a target glance. They're checking for witnesses. They're checking for uh, see if the cops are driving by, that sort of thing. Uh, if they're, they are artificially trying to close the gap with you, if they're trying to get within touching distance of you, which is abnormal behavior for people in a, in a social situation that don't really know each other, uh, that there, there's a big list of this sort of thing that um, when I'm given a class, this probably takes about an hour to talk about all on its own. So, um, Mike, I was wondering if you, most guys, sometimes they just want to look or act tough to prove that they aren't scared and they try to be a little bit more alpha by confronting a person that they think is a problem. And uh, we just got a time, but we have about 30 seconds. So can you give us a quick answer on that? You know, uh, that's posturing. And uh, I can tell you this, uh, a hardened criminal, seasoned criminal, apex criminal predator, whatever you'd like to call them, um, they see through that, and they will call you on that. Um, I have a saying, uh, if you can't back it up, then you need to be able to back it up. Um, and it's recognizing the difference between what's um, asocial behavior, uh, asocial violence, and uh, social dominance. Those are two concepts discussed in the book uh, written by uh, Tim Larkin. It's called When Violence is the Answer. Um, and um, you want to have a – you want to have a uh, – you want to avoid those things altogether. I mean, you have to think about what am I going to gain or lose from uh, posturing like that? Um, are, you, are you really trying to deter uh, a trouble, you know, a person who looks like the trouble or not? Um, and so that's, uh, you have to understand it's, that it might work on most people, but there are people out there that they will call you on that. And uh, there are prisons full of those people right now. And there are people like that walking amongst us. So, you know, Mike, cross, you know, Mike, you're absolutely correct. But, you know, we're going to have to take a quick break. Got to pay a few bills. So keep that thought, folks. You're listening to Responsibly Armed Radio on AM 1170, FM 96.1. We are the answer. There is more information still to come with Responsibly Armed Radio on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back to Responsibly Armed Radio on The Answer San Diego. Now here are your hosts, Tatiana Whitlock and Judy Wells. All right, folks. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to... FM 96.1 AM 1170, The Answer. This is Responsibly Armed Radio. It's brought to you today by the AC Foundation. This segment is also sponsored by Howl's Gun Shop, New England's premier indoor range and firearms retailer. Join us in Gray, Maine, for a family-friendly shopping experience and head into our state-of-the-art range to make some noise. Not sure where to start? We'll take your first gun safety lesson, hunter safety 
or concealed carry courses with our nationally recognized instructors. Howl's promoting safe and responsible firearm ownership since 1983. You can visit them online at howlsgunshop.com. That's howlsgunshop.com. All right, Tatiana, the floor is yours. Fantastic. Thank you. Chuck, the interview process. We're taking the next step to talk about when someone starts engaging us verbally. So let's say we're walking down the street, approaching our car, a shady person who we've been watching and paying attention to and feeling, you know, those icky feelings about, well, they start walking towards us and they meet us at the driver's side. They ask us for the time, but you know that feeling if you're listening where every bone in your body is screaming that this isn't right. So what does the beginning of this verbal exchange really look like and really mean for us? Because things are taking the next step. So something like that is uh, an intro to whatever they've got really planned. You know, uh, maybe they, maybe they're a panhandler and all they, all they really want is a dollar. Maybe they're a panhandler, they're asking for a dollar, and they want to see what you've got in your wallet. Uh, the aggressive panhandler as a pre-robbery uh, tactic is something that's very common in a lot of cities nowadays. Uh, it may be because they're meeting you at the car, trying to get to the driver's side, uh, that may be a prelude to a carjacking. So the verbal part of it is them trying to gain entry into closer space to you. A lot of, well, most of the time, this sort of thing isn't as, dramatic as they're going to run up on you with an AK-47 and demand your car keys. Uh, they're going to try to finesse their way up to you. Uh, and then part of it is it's the interview process. What they're doing is they are interviewing you for the position of crime victim that day. Hello, sir. I'm conducting interviews for the position of crime victim. You appear to be a good candidate for this. Uh, I'd like to continue the interview. So unlike a job interview, what you're trying to do is flunk the interview. Uh, I often um, kind of I, I equate this to sharks when sharks bump things. Uh, say shark swimming around, it's looking for something to eat, it sees a whale, is the whale asleep or is the whale dead? Am I going to get an easy meal out of this? A shark will bump its target and see what kind of a reaction it gets out of that target. Some of this criminal behavior would be the, the same way because if they want to use you as a human ATM or they want to take your car, et cetera, uh, and most of this type of crime is uh, predatory and some sort of financial game for the criminal, what they're looking for is that gain. You know, there's a win-loss process. If they're going to get hurt in the process, that's, you know, that's going to be a bad thing for them. So, uh it, it's it's a two way interview type of thing. Hey, you know, Chuck, wouldn't a red red flag be because you know normally when you pull up to an intersection, there's the always the the panhandler and the homeless guy just sitting on the curb waiting for you to reach out and hand him or her some money. If they come to you to solicit you, that would be a red flag, wouldn't you say? That that is more of a red flag. The ones that are that are more innocuous will right. sit there, but. Uh, some of the ones you might see, like it used to be famous in New York City, is they dump something on your windshield right. and then squeeze you off, and now you owe them money, that type of thing. Right. Gotcha. Just wanted to throw that in there because that's what I see around town. 90, 98% of those folks are actually sitting there waiting for you to wave at them, 
for them to come to you and then give them money. And if it's the other way around, that's a red flag. Absolutely. Absolutely the case. Mike, we've got a question for you. Women's self-defense often teaches us to yell really loudly things like stop and get away. Does that really work? You know, I've heard the term uh, verbal judo. We hear that a lot when when we start talking about verbal exchanges in relation to deflecting and redirecting a potential attacker. Can you tell us what that means and give us some examples of how you could use it? You know, uh, what I teach is uh, using a a tape loop, having a... uh there's been a prescribed response that you can apply to many different situations with uh, having contact with unknown persons. So, for example, like the uh, the panhandlers situation, um, you know, they're they're wanting to stop you. They want to get something from you. You owe them nothing. Um, you're not being rude, but what you want to actually practice is the like verbal deflection. You know, and verbal judo traditionally is uh, more de-escalation, but it's also verbal deflection. Uh, but what I teach is uh, we teach this in force on force classes where we do scenarios like this and we have a person who might be a concealed carry citizen. Um, they uh, they have a um, we'll have a role player approach them and, and try this with them. And what we tell them is, look, you have a, a prescribed verbal response and you get past that person. You just keep moving on. So it might be something like, sorry, I can't help you. You put your hands up, palms out. You're just moving along. You're not being aggressive, but you're just building a fence. You're also paying attention to who's around and they may have an accomplice, a tail gunner, we call that. Um, and then um, if they escalate it, you know, you could use a diversion technique. One thing we do is we point two fingers down at the ground, get their attention in that direction, pointing like and say, uh-oh, keep moving along. If that doesn't work and they are persistent and they are following you, you can just yell, leave me alone, right? Um, but, and that's creating ear witnesses if you're in an area that there are people there. But... Um, yeah, and then, um, you know, but you need to be assertive and um, you need to be able to practice this stuff ahead of time. But uh, you don't want to deviate from it. You want to have it work for you um, in a controlled environment with, you know, partners if you do train this stuff. Um, and because when you're under stress, you're going to need to be able to recall that. And having that tape loop really helps. And be careful where you practice that. Because if you're in the yeah. backyard, you're <laughs> screaming your head off, and you got good neighbors. <laughs> so I don't know where you're going to go to practice it. it. Maybe in the shower. Yeah, <laughs> car washes work. <laughs> so before Judy takes the next question, I just want to throw something in here really quick. Chuck, verbal judo—it's it, a book too, right? Yes, it is. Uh, is. Uh, written by a gentleman uh, who was involved in the law enforcement field for a very long time to help uh, law enforcement officers deal with uh, what the big word nowadays is de-escalation. So to verbally de-escalate people. And then it also confirms eh, I'm, I'm out of verbal options, so I'm going to have to take action. So that's kind of the short version of what that is. So, yeah. um, so Mike, Mike, let me ask, I got a question here. So when in the process do we start thinking about preparing with a self-defense tool like pepper spray, for example? Um, you know, if you are going to have to go through those defensive tools, one, you have to be familiar with them. Also have them um, efficient, where you can efficiently access them. Uh, and you're going to have that practice. But it's also knowing at that moment, okay, is that gap getting closed where you cannot physically get away from them? either running or getting distance between you and them. And you may have to de- deploy that tool. So if it's pepper spray or a defensive flashlight, if it's night, um, I would say, you know, if you already have that, your hand stays on that pepper spray in your pocket, 
Uh, that's one method. Um, but that's, that's the, that's the time you want to have, you want to be out ahead of this stuff. So stack the strategy stacked into your favor. But, but when do you decide? I mean, do you, as soon as somebody kind of comes at you, do you just reach into your pocket or purse, pull it out and shoot them immediately? Or do you try to, you know, cause you know, sometimes if you shoot them and you get them in the face or if you miss them, now you've really got a problem on your hand, especially if you haven't practiced on how to shoot. A, I mean, I guarantee you most people have pepper spray probably couldn't hit a target if their life depended on it. Yeah. And the, the thing is that they are crossing the line. You've already established, look, I am not interested. I'm right. moving. I'm trying to leave this spot. If they are pursuing, that's a clue right there that they are, they're engaging you and they're going to pursue you in that point. That's when, okay, we've gone, you know, from like right. orange to up to red condition, red. Right. And you know, and the fight is probably about to be on. Yeah. So unload the can, put every ounce of it right in their face. Before well, we go, be, be judicious about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Before we, we have to take a break in a second, but before we take our break, Mike, I just want to review that for our listeners and for me, that the most effective thing to do when you have someone approaching you is to put your palms up towards the person and say, stop or back off. If they've crossed that, that boundary already, that we don't want them that close to us. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's a universal signal that just says it's palms out and it's not a threatening gesture. It's just, but you're establishing that, Hey, I have boundaries right here. Um, and it's say a, it's a nonverbal cue. Right. Mm-hmm. But you say up, you, yeah. you accompany it with back off or stop or something to that effect. Because I feel like that um, happens a lot of times. And so that's yeah. something that all of our listeners can use. I mean, how many times does that happen just when you're walking down the street? On and the it beach? could stop the problem. And that could, could end it, it right yeah. then and there. That's what we hope for, yeah. yeah. And, if, and if you're really assertive and you're really practicing this, it's not, it's not 100%. I remember defensive situations, you have a 50-50 chance. But if you can stop it there and move on past it, you know, then you're good. And most panhandlers, they are territorial. They're holding that square. They don't want to lose that square. Right. Because they move and follow you, they're going to give it to someone else. Yeah. And if they get in trouble yeah, building a fence. Yeah. and they get arrested, they're definitely going to lose their spot. You know? yeah. yeah. Well, you yeah. can always do the prancing dragon, too. You know, you put your hands up <laughs> no. and look like claws. No, I'm only kidding. Maybe you can. I yeah. probably could do that. All right. Hey, if we're going to take a quick. We're, we're going to take a fence. Yeah, I know. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. It's such a good show today. I'm just. Loving every minute of it, folks. You're listening to Responsibly Armed Radio, and we're on FM 96.1, AM 1170. There is more information still to come with Responsibly Armed Radio on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back to Responsibly Armed Radio on The Answer San Diego. Now here are your hosts, Tatiana Whitlock and Judy Wells. All right, folks, welcome back. Responsibly Armed Radio is brought to you today by the AC Foundation, and this segment is proudly sponsored by Tactics. Beat ticks for the bites with Tactics, the crawling tick remover. Just one of these convenient palm-sized micro kits can keep over 70 of the dangerous pests from contracting a cocktail of crippling diseases. So easy a child can do it. 
and so convenient you'll never risk being without one. Tactics, patent pending and proudly made in the U.S. of A. All right, Tatiana. So our first question is going to go to Chuck, and this is where we discuss stage three in the escalation of violence, which is threat of injury, and that could lead to an assault and battery. This is where we encounter the term reasonable force. Chuck, can you explain what that means and what that could look like? Well, the, the case law of this goes all the way back to Brown versus U.S., which was well before the uh, uh, World War II. Uh, one of my favorite quotes to come out of the self-defense world was Chief Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes said that in specific to that case, the court cannot demand detached reflection in the face of an upraised knife. Uh, that's a wonderful quote to come out of that decision. So reasonable force uh, is what a reasonable man uh, or in, you know, woman, but they called it the reasonable man rule, would use in a situation uh, that they, if they found themselves in a similar situation. Part of what changes that dynamic is somebody with the same uh, training and experience. So one of the great things about having more training is you have more training, you have more experience, you also start to become your own expert witness when you are articulating the reasonableness of what you uh, might do or what you had to do. So uh, when we're being uh, physically confronted, uh, maybe we're in a situation that uh, Mike was talking about, we have our fence up, we have our hands up, we're telling somebody to get back. Reasonable people, regular people would take that, oh my God, I'm so sorry, you know, I, I didn't mean to alarm you or scare you. Somebody who's a predatory criminal is going to continue to encroach. So at that point, it might be reasonable for you to fear, I'm going to be punched in the face, uh, I'm going to suffer a robbery, a strong-arm robbery, my purse is going to be snatched, I'm going to get beat up. So that reasonableness, painting that picture, if you have to use force to the police when you have to report that crime, is something you need to think about beforehand. Uh, I often talk about the George Zimmerman case, which a lot of people are familiar with. Uh, George made a lot of bad decisions in that one. But if we break it down to if George Zimmerman early in that encounter, when he was verbally confronted by Trayvon Martin, uh, had tried to back off, he, he was continued to be ver or, uh, physically aggressed by Trayvon, which we know eventually turned into a violent fight that turned into a fatal shooting. If George had tried to pepper spray Trayvon Martin and back off and call 911, we probably wouldn't even know who George Zimmerman or Trayvon Martin were. And it would have never been on the, on the news, and it wouldn't have been a thing that anybody would heard about because the perception that everybody had would have been that's a much more reasonable level of force for a physical confrontation. We do know George uh, prevailed in a criminal trial in which he was charged with murder, but seriously, at what cost? Uh, uh, people in the industry tell me he's, uh, you know, half a million dollars in the hole, lost his house, lost his job, marriage broke up, etc. So George didn't do what I often tell some of my officers to do, and this goes back to cops and non-cops, law enforcement and self-defense cases, is if you are able to competently use enough low-level force early enough, you often don't have to use more force later to shoot your way out of a hole. So in this segment, because we're talking about, we're talking about escalating force, 
and we're talking about the difference between they want to hurt me and they want to kill me. I know this might sound kind of weird, but I've heard a lot about wasp spray. I know it's not a technical, less lethal tool, but, you know, I'm in California. We don't have as many options as other people do across the country. You don't need a lot of strength to use it. You can buy it without a license. It reaches 25 feet. So can you talk to us about those kinds of tools and other less lethal tools that we can carry with us every day? Um, Waspray is a myth that needs to die. It really does. Waspray does not work on people. It works on wasps. Cutie just Uh, bought a case. She's got 24 cans. What is she going to do? Oh, no. (laughs) No, I don't. Yes, you do. I've seen it in your car. Hey, I hear people say carry wasp spray. You don't need pepper spray. But if they have never looked at a can of wasp spray, it's the size of a can of, you know, spray paint. It's a huge can. You can't carry it in your pocket. You'd have to carry it in a shopping bag wherever you go. It's incredibly ineffective on people. I can point to two cases that I know of in my city when I was a police officer here where we had attempted robberies on the street. And both of them were ladies, tried to use wasp spray to defend themselves. And in one case, the lady was chased down, beat nearly to death. The guy emptied the can on her and started kicking her and then walked off. Uh, It just doesn't work on people. It's an incredibly bad bit of urban legend that just needs to go away. Pepper spray, I'm a big fan of it. I, uh, I train it. I've used it a lot, hundreds of times on the street. Law enforcement experience is it's uh, depending on the brand and your training, at least 80 to 90 percent effective. Uh, so that that's a thing. If you want to can the size of a, a wasp spray, I tell people to get bear spray. It works on bears. It works on mean dogs, works very well on people, too. Uh, if you are in a classroom setting, like a lot of teachers, and you want something that is going to be in that environment that you can actually have, I tell people to buy a kitchen size dry chemical fire extinguisher so that uh, they can keep that on hand. The dry chemical fire extinguishers will uh, rob somebody of their victim because of the powder effect. They'll have trouble breathing. They'll have trouble seeing. You can use it to throw up like a smoke screen, a cloud in between you and the bad guy. It's heavy enough to smack somebody with if you need to. And then oddly enough, they also put out fires. So that's there's that. Um, Other tools out there, stun guns, very, very much not a fan of stun guns. The civilian uh, non-LE tasers can be a good tool, but they're much more expensive than your average uh, defensive pistol. And they're no more durable than a cell phone. Uh, and you have one shot. It's it's either going to work or it's not going to work. Right. Uh, Cubitons, not a big fan of. Big, big, big fan of quality high-power flashlights like a Surefire or a Streamlight or a Phoenix. Puts out 500 to 1,000 lumens. Those are a very good tool that you can still hit people with. All right. Well, okay, so let's go ahead and chat with Mike. Uh, Chuck kind of stole a little bit of your thunder. But, Mike, so if I bought all this stuff, I'm all decked out with pepper spray. Of course, we've decided against Cubitons. And, in California. Yeah, yeah, in California. And apps on my phone. Am I ready? I mean, you can't go wrong with pepper spray, right? Just point spray. I mean, you know, Chuck actually requires training, which I think is totally smart. But what, what would you add to that? 
you know, those are those are hardware solutions to what you will need as software uh, solutions to to the problems. And we're applying, we're looking at things. What kind of tools and things can I acquire to make me safer? But really, it's like, what is your mindset? What is your knowledge of self-defense? What is the knowledge of your own state's the laws pertaining to self-defense and use of force? So let's begin there. Once you understand that, um, then you find the training that that goes for those tools that you've chosen to carry that you legally can carry on your person um, in public um, or, you know, using in the home. So you have to understand that um, because we're held to a higher standard as civilian defenders. Uh, if you want to call, call us that, um, we're going to be scrutinized a lot more. And we also have a lot less resources than say a law enforcement uh, officer who might use, you know, force even less than lethal. Um, but you also have to get training, um, good, really good training that your, your instructors, are they accredited? You know, um, are they safe? Um, you know, if you're doing firearms training, do they have a medical plan, uh, evacuation plan? Do they have a safety briefing? Um, and are they teaching things that are reality based or are they things that are they teaching uh, concepts that would apply to normal life or are they very niche? You know, um, that's the thing you look for. The other thing is, um, don't cheap out on your equipment. Um, buy quality equipment, good gear, a good holster, or uh, you know, good reputable brands of uh, pepper spray if you're using that option. Um, you know, it's worth every penny. You're worth every penny. Um, so that's that's what I recommend for that. Yeah, I, I so totally. Yeah, I totally agree. Go ahead, Tatiana. Sure, Mike, and and then we'll bounce this to Chuck too. You know, there's this. Pepper spray is one of those, if your state allows it, and I, make, I know to all our listeners nationwide, please make sure you check. And the USDCA is a great option to go online and see what's legal and not legal in your state. But do your homework before you invest in tools and, and invest wisely. But there's this other urban myth I'd like to address about pepper spray. And it's that if you use it, it's going to blow back on you and, and you're going to be disabled in your attempt to use it as, towards an attacker. Mike, I'll start with you. What are your 30-second thoughts on that? And then we'll bounce it to Chuck. Uh, well, I was a corrections officer. Um, I, I don't even know how many times I've, I've breathed that stuff. Um, you do need to have some familiarity with what the effects are going to do on you in a controlled environment. Um, I've, you know... I've mostly dealt with this um, years ago in a in the public safety sector. As a civilian, it's a different story. I'm actually going to be training with Chuck uh, next month in his his uh, chemical internet class. So I'm, I'm going to just do a plug for Chuck. I recommend him. <laughs> Yay! We agree, Chuck. What are your thoughts on that <laughs> urban legend? Uh, having used it hundreds of times in real life, uh, typically in an outdoor area, I could tell you that even with the cone-shaped mist, the types of pepper sprays that are prone to fogging an area, it's an overstated concern. And if you're really that worried about it, there are products you can pick that don't have that effect, like, at all. So this is one of those knowledge is power, know what to buy, know how to use it type things. You know, and Chuck, you I... recommend, like, three brands? Yeah, there you I go. I probably asked exactly what you were going to ask, Dave, but, yeah, <laughs> there's three brands you could, could recommend. All right. Okay, we can get that when we come back. Yep. Stay tuned, folks, for our final segment where we talk about the worst of the worst cases a legitimate threat of injury or death, deadly force. 
There is more information still to come with Responsibly Armed Radio on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back to Responsibly Armed Radio on The Answer San Diego. Now here are your hosts, Tatiana Whitlock and Judy Wells. All right, folks, welcome back. Responsibly Armed Radio is brought to you today by the AC Foundation, and this segment is proudly sponsored by VinNow Winery Software, a complete winery software solution designed by a winery specifically for the wineries. You can manage your wine every step of the way from bulk wine tracking to one-step wine club processing, cashier sales, customer data, sales history management, and robust reporting. Visit www.vinnow.com today. And the Smith Family Soap Works makes handcrafted olive oil-based bath and body products. After using their fragrant soap or creamy moisturizers, you will never want to use anything else on your skin. They have been providing exceptional products for over 20 years. Their website is smithfamilysoap.com. And they are open for orders right now. Hey, Tatiana, before I go back to you, uh, Judy had an awesome question, of course, off air, which most good radio is. Okay, so, Chuck, can you just please quickly repeat the names of those pepper spray products that you recommend? So I like Sabre brand. Uh, They're red. They're crossfire lines and either cone or uh, streamer. Uh, I avoid the gels. And then Palm, P-O-M, uh, has some really high-quality pepper spray and a very, very portable package that people find easy to carry and keep with them. Uh, both of them I can highly recommend. Okay, we'll have links for our listeners up on our website so, Judy, after radio. that question that you mentioned off-air about the glasses. Oh, yeah. Do you think it's good to wear glasses if you're carrying pepper spray, like sunglasses or clear glasses, just in cases? Um, it... it a lot of people are going to wear, you're going to wear sunglasses when it's appropriate to wear sunglasses. Most people do, you know, very bright sun. Uh, it can help protect your eyes just like uh, when you were shooting glasses shooting. Um, not sure how many people are going to run around at night with clear glasses on them is where they would be very uh, appropriate to the lighting. Um, and it, if for a minor exposure, it would be helpful uh, for getting hit right in the face, I found having to spray people wearing glasses, it really doesn't help them out any. Gotcha. Good okay, question. Thanks. All right, Tatiana. Certainly. So, Mike, we're going to lead in with you. And this fourth segment is about the worst of the worst case, being legitimately in fear for your life. A high-risk, intense conflict event where you have limited options for survival as someone is actively trying to kill you. We passed the first four stages of threat assessment at this point. Verbal engagements, reasonable force options, and here we go, deadly force. What physical tools do you want readily at your disposal right now? Uh, if, we're, if we're talking deadly force, um, you know, that's the highest level here. Um, you know, the firearm is the concealed firearm, the legally carried concealed firearm is uh, what most of us think of. Um, you know, and I hear knives, uh, defensive knives, those have other issues as well. Um, they're, the thing is you have to understand, again, what are the laws concerning deadly force, use of deadly force in your state or the jurisdiction you're in? Um, there's, uh, there's five elements to this. I won't go into them, but I will recommend a book uh, for the listeners to 
to pick up. It's uh, called The Law of Self-Defense. Uh, it's by attorney Andrew Baranka, The Law of Self-Defense. And he really breaks down really good um, the five elements of, of making a claim of affirmative defense if you use deadly force uh, that covers most people, covering in most all 50 states in the U.S. Um, another book I would recommend, too, and this is the thing, you're looking at a life-changing situation. You use force, you survive that. Um, another book I would recommend is by uh, Varg Freeborn. It's called uh, Violence of Mind. Um, and this is really with the mindset of understanding, you know, um, you know that, that, that gravity of what you're about to get into. Um, the, um, the thing is, though, understanding, uh, too, are you in a duty to retreat state or are you in a stand-your-ground state? And do you understand what that means? Um, we hear this thing with stand-your-ground. It's like, well, I, that, that gives me the right to shoot anybody wherever if they're in my space. That's not true at all. You have an obligation to be an unwilling participant in that. And um, you have to exhaust all possibilities, all, all the options to not have to use deadly force if you possibly can. But, again, um, if you use that force, and it goes back to what Chuck was saying earlier, uh, would another person in that same situation reasonably have responded similar to the way you did, given the same circumstances and knowing what you did, knew at that time? Um, you know, the law does not expect us to be make a perfect decision, but only a reasonable one when we use uh, deadly force. Um, but you do need to be educated and trained on uh, what your deadly force laws are in the jurisdiction that you're in. So there's a lot of new gun owners out here now that are reluctant to carry a firearm right. for several reasons. One, they're not trained. And two, that they are afraid that the gun will be taken away from them. And I have to admit, I've had that fear myself because I'm a, a more mature woman. So I thought about that if someone bigger and heavier than me could get me from the back or whatever and take the firearm away from me. What are your thoughts about martial arts or people that maybe um, need a gun but have new gun owner fears? What are some options? Chuck? So uh, I hear that, and I often point out that that is uh, often a statement that anti-gunners make. You don't need a gun. Oh, and besides the little lady, it'll just get taken away from you anyway, and it'll be against you. So I think it's a, it's a political statement by a lot of people. And I think it's also incredibly sexist. Uh, and then people point that out who typically don't have any real experience in the type of subject that we're talking about. Uh, disarms of uh, concealed carry people who have pulled guns in self-defense are an incredibly rare event. Uh, can it happen? Yes. But typically, once uh, the the gun, most people they're going to pull the gun to use the gun in a defensive scenario, uh, and if they have to shoot the bad guy, I think the bad guy is uh, typically more worried about getting shot. Uh, or at least shot at uh, than they are, hey, I'm going to go take this person's gun away. It certainly can happen. I have noted that robberies of people who are open carrying are much more common than they used to be. So if you were someplace where you uh, choose to or you're forced to open carry your pistol, you really want to be aware of that dynamic, that you may be targeted specifically for the gun. But uh, if that's a worry that, you know, hey, if I pull my gun, I have it in my hand, somebody's going to take it away from me. There are gun selection and training aspects of that that make it pretty easy for that to become not an issue. Hey, I got a quick question for both of you gentlemen. Uh, shoot to wound, shoot to kill. Uh, to there is the no thing. Stop the threat. <laughs> okay, I just yeah. wanted to bring that up because a lot of people I've talked to about it 
and they don't know. It's almost impossible to shoot to wound. Uh, most people are shooting, trying desperately to hit uh, under very difficult circumstances. Gotcha. Uh, you, you just It's just impossible. And frankly, legally, you can't shoot somebody a little bit. Uh, shooting somebody anywhere, it's an act of deadly force. Gotcha. That's exactly what I was hoping you would say. So our last question to wrap this conversation up, and we could do a show all about that question. <laughs> and we I might. mean, that is such a huge one. And who knows? We, we just might. might. Season two. But, you know, everybody thinks that the deadly force encounter stopped after the violence or the violent event ends. But that's so not true. Mike, talk to us about what's coming next. Um, you know, assuming we have survived that situation physically, uh, First thing is scene safety. Are there any threats still present? Are the, are the assailants still there? Uh, they left the area. Do you have to leave the area? Um, the, uh, the other thing, are you, uh, are you in, um, are you in you know, immediate danger? Do you have any injuries? Um, but you want to be, uh, going to be aware of that. Absolutely. Chuck, what are your thoughts on that subject? Uh, well, Masad Eyub has pointed out that you have two fights. The first one's going to be the fight for your life, yep. and then the second one is going to be the fight for your legal survival. And you have to be equally prepared for both of those. Uh, what, what I just talked about in the George Zimmerman case, uh, he ended up prevailing in a criminal trial, was found not guilty of murder, but at what cost? You can set yourself up to not fall into that same hole that he uh, found himself in through uh, – thinking ahead of time, getting some training, knowing the laws in your state. Uh, these are all software issues that need to be addressed before we think about things like what's the best concealed carry gun. And let's start with you, Chuck. For our listeners who would love to learn more about you and the work you do, where can folks find you online and social media? So I've got uh, my own website, Agile Training and Consulting. It's uh, agiletactical.com, all one word. Uh, I have a training calendar on there. I have a Facebook page under that same uh, Agile Training Consulting uh, logo. And, Mike, how about you? Where can our listeners learn more? Uh, my website is uh, conditionorangepreparedness.com. Um, there we also have a list of our courses, uh, including some new ones that will be coming up really soon. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel we just started this year, uh, the same name, ConditionOrangePreparedness.com. Um, you can also find me at, uh, I also teach for QSI training. Uh, we have some classes coming up. There's a discount code for that right now for the classes to the end of the year. For most of them, it's uh, COVID, 50% uh, off. That's at QSI.net. But, yeah, you can find me at ConditionOrangePreparedness.com. And for all of our listeners, all of the topics, products, and specific references to books will be available and listed as resources on our website, responsiblyarmedradio.com. So, Mike and Chuck, I'd like to thank you both for joining us today. As we said many times over the hour, we could do a whole broadcast on each of your <laughs> specialized topics. So thank you again, and I'd like to talk to our listeners for a minute about our next live broadcast of Responsibly Armed Radio, which will be on September 13th at 1 p.m. Our guests will be Steve Moses of Active Response Training and Melody Lauer of Citizens Defense Research. Our question will be, ask yourself, 
Are my elderly parents or younger children prepared to protect themselves? For everyone listening to us today, you can find us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube, and many other podcast platforms. This program is sponsored by Dave Stahl.